Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. Welcome to this episode of the Insurance Brokers Podcast. On this episode, we're delighted to be talking to Ian Lloyd. Ian is the Managing Director of iPRISM Underwriting, a position he has held since November 2018. Ian has been in the insurance industry for over 15 years and is currently responsible for the management and effective operation of iPRISM. Ian is involved in business and product development, insurer relations, and technology development. Welcome, Ian. Hello, Ian. Thank you ever so much for coming on the Insurance Brokers Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. We've had some interesting uh, pre-chats, which we can try and, and redo, because I think it'd be really interesting for the audience listening. So Ian, do you want to give us a little bit of your background in terms of iPRISM, what you do, what your specialties are, etc.? Oh yeah, I'd love to. Uh, so uh, iPRISM is uh, is an MGA. We, we're, a, we're very much digital uh, and technology is, is at the heart of what we do, both in terms of the service that we provide our brokers and the the underwriting side of the business that we uh, we obviously do on behalf of our insurers. Our real specialties are the, the the small construction area. So we do a lot of tradesmen um, and small uh, contractors. We property, both uh, residential, commercial, the commercial SME, so your, your average uh, retailers, offices, etc. And we've got a separate part of the business or separate side of the business for private clients, which is high net worth insurance. Um, okay. But the big core part of our business is the community brokers um, and delivering service that they can rely on. I think some of the conversations we've been having and some of the training we've been doing through um, Boston Tullis, we've been talking about the relationship with small MGAs being really critical to what's coming in the next year, two years in terms of the way the market's going. I imagine you would wholeheartedly agree with that. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree. Um, absolutely. I think uh, if I was, uh, I'm going to say it, of course, I'm a cheerleader for, for small MGAs being one. But as part of a, a placement strategy for brokers, I think an MGA or, or an MGA or two within that strategy certainly has its place because we've got a slightly different view of the world than, than what you would find at the insurers. Uh, we're a bit more aligned to what a broker is. Uh, we understand the importance of finding bespoke solutions for, for every client, regardless of size or complexity or premium spend. And we will uh, hopefully, or I'd like to think that MGAs will be able to take more of a commercial view of the world, which is sometimes critical when you've got that customer, that client that uh, the broker needs to look after because he's got something that little bit outside of, of normal that, that maybe the insurers directly won't take. So, I think an MGA should always be part of the, the placement strategy for, for brokers. I think it's interesting talking about placement strategies and some of the work we've been doing with some of our clients is around uh, renewals process, placement strategies, and actually having a written and followed placement strategy that is uh, supports the overall business objective um, as well as supporting client base. 
And I, uh, yeah, I think it's really important. The benefit to uh, brokers we've discussed previously is also in how quickly you can turn things around, that nimbility. That nimbility, it's a great word. And it's it, a word it, that it, should, it's, should be used more. It certainly <laughs> should be. I, I think, um, yeah, I think certainly one of the strengths that we feel that we've been able to display, certainly with COVID, COVID and lockdown, um, is the ability to, to very quickly adjust the way that we work so that we our service levels are still as, as, as quick and as efficient as they, they have been. You, know, you don't get lost into a big call centre that you might find with your bigger insurers. You know, you, you would have the same underwriter dealing with, you'll be dealing with every, every day um, and they can respond and, and come back to queries and change quotes or uh, look at renewals for you. Obviously, singing the praise of MGAs again, but uh, it, it is all about that quick service because your customer might be in your office or they might be at the other end of a phone or they've called you at five to five because that's when they call you and you just need something dealt with very quickly. And, um, and, a, and a good MGA with, with the right authority from their insurers, they'll be able to just get that done for you. And, and, and I think that's key. Um, and we see, we see that that was a real benefit to our brokers during COVID when other bigger organisations maybe didn't quite get themselves transferred over to home working as quickly as as, as you, you'd like um, whereas we're a technology enabled business anyway it was just a simple case of right guys take your take your laptops home and you're working from home tomorrow and brokers shouldn't have noticed any difference so that, that I think that's key that nimbility is and that's what good that's what small businesses are good at Absolutely. What do you think is going to, this ties quite into to placement strategy, but what do you think is going to happen over the next few years with some of the niche industries? And I'm thinking particularly around scaffolders construction or any of the industries that you think potentially there's a high risk industry and the, and the hardening of market. What do you think is going to happen there? And how do you see your role as an MGA in that sort of bridging that gap or supporting brokers? I think there's going to be, there's going to be some industries that are um, certainly the impact of COVID, it's going to be a tough time. You know, what's going to happen with the high street, everybody's just switched over to clicking a button and, and buying from Amazon and, and having it delivered the same day. So I'm not sure what the high street's going to look like, but it's not going to look like what it is today. And that's been changing. Um, so I think some of the traditional high street retailers uh, will need to rethink their businesses and maybe move out of the high street into more online operations. I think SMEs are uh, resilient. They find ways of doing business and being a, 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 a insure, insurance provider for small businesses, I take a lot of comfort. I think our brokers' clients will be uh, will find ways to continue. But um, certainly with construction, you know, that's we, we do a lot of that. We're seeing people are downgrading their expectations in terms of. Uh, wage rolls and turnovers but I'm hoping that's going to be a short-term thing and once the world opens up again they'll get back to it but um, I think the main one where we need to really think about what they're going to do is, is the leisure industry because uh, obviously that's really been impacted with with COVID um, and we're seeing businesses unfortunately go go out of uh, you know, stop trading and whatnot so generally I think SMEs will be resilient but there will unfortunately be will be some businesses that don't survive at the same time there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that will either change their business or find opportunity. So, Do you think there's harder times to come? Because I personally think when the furlough schemes end, ends in October, 
there's going to be a, a huge rise in unemployment and people losing jobs and all of the fallout that that entails. My, my natural position is to be an optimist and, and think that that people will find a way. But unfortunately, I think, yeah, I think where your viewpoint is is probably accurate. It's we're not things aren't getting back to normal and it is going to be difficult for, for a lot of people and a lot of industries and the furlough scheme that that propping up of, of of incomes for people and for businesses it's going to come to an end it's going to be a struggle but people find a way so it's yeah, they do. Uh, you know that that is you know pe- people find a way to to carry on their businesses or continue to earn a, a living and you hear the examples of you know mum had uh, a tesco delivery and the delivery man was a pilot the week before. So it's, you know, people who want to find, a, uh, or people who, are, you know, that, that it's in their blood to go and find a solution and that's going to serve them well. And hopefully it's temporary and then things will open up and it will get back to uh, get back to business and get back to what they were doing before. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. One of the things that we've talked about uh, previously, but also that's related to this is, is the end client, the SME and their business management, business continuity planning, risk management, and all of the things that feed into being a really good business that will obviously help support the next few years of their ability to continue. How do you as an MGA support that end user in those processes? Or can you, or is there a, you know, how, what do you think about that? Well, I think as an MGA, as a, and we're in a anybody that's not the direct, not the broker or direct insurer is is one step removed from the customer and the client. So it's it's difficult to us to directly influence the business practices and the risk management and business continuity and, and all those fun things. But it's almost how can we support the broker to do that role if that's their role you know, some sometimes it, it's not but but risk management is comes into the the remit of the local insurance broker because that's that's what they that it's not just placing insurance it's also advising on what links what you know the, the pitfalls of running the business and what their risks are so a, a big part of what we do is we our underwriters will first of all we, we choose which brokers that we um that we work with um and it's the brokers that are community brokers those that have done the visits to businesses that they they know the local area they know what's um, we know that they understand their customers but also it's, it's about asking the questions that need to be asked and maybe doing the checks that we can do remotely to not do the broker's job but just assist them in doing what they what they want to do and also encourage to use there's tools available that are web-based or, or what have you and encourage those use and a lot of brokers do use them to, to help their brokers, their clients. So our, our role, I, I think, is just to try and support risk management. But ultimately, that's where the broker really can offer value to their customer, their client, other than just placing insurance for them. Yeah, that chain is quite a tricky one, isn't it? Because obviously, the benefits to use the MGA of a positive risk management process at the end user are huge mm. and it's just crossing the links in that chain to enable everybody to support everybody in the best yeah. possible way it's quite difficult yeah so we as, as underwriters we will ask it from a uh, an insurance uh, a risk acceptance uh, and pricing 
position because exactly what you're saying you know that if you can select the risks that you want to that you if you can highlight risks and and you can then uh, either offer advice or you know a lot of people will see well i want an alarm at this that's that's maybe it's not punitive measure it's a risk management measure so it's you know we were looking from that side but then the brokers will look at that and go okay the, the underwriters looked at the risk and you know these, these are good measures to take or these are good questions how can i then support my customer and my client to uh, to consider these risks so because we are one step removed it's very difficult but not impossible and it's more of a support role as opposed to a, a direct risk management role if in, in my view yeah, kind of got that trusted advisor approach to the brokers and then wider to the end users and, and trying yeah. to build that, I suppose, is quite tricky to the latter. How do iPRISM go about sort of looking at the brokers they work with and, and deciding? You mentioned you go with community brokers that you really know, know their end user. Do you have any kind of process involved in that? Yeah, so we've um, we've got an agency and broker management process if you if you if you like i think it's quite key that we uh, we trade with brokers that we know and know us that they serve a, a community or they serve a niche or they've got expertise so it, we have a real you know no one broker is the same so it's it's not like one f- we change our offering and the way that we service brokers depending on their needs but i think it's really key that it's it's brokers that we can see that they're not and that there's not necessarily a bad thing but Brokers that have a, a service proposition to their customers, it's, it's not sold on price only. It's There's more to their offering to their customers, which is very difficult to know from the get-go. But, you know, we we have multi-touch points for brokers. So we have a sales team that are out in brokers' offices and they, they you know, they're in the offices. They understand brokers. Uh, we have telephone account managers, which aren't underwriters. That's a service proposition. Um, and then we have our underwriters. So we try and give brokers as many touch points as possible of our business. At the same time, try and get as many touch points into the broker's business as possible so that we can try and understand how they work and what they're doing. And and then that allows us to know, okay, this is a broker that that we support because that we support all our brokers. If you've got an agency, then we'll support you. But that allows us to to understand where we can support them. And that they're a broker that we should we should continue to, uh, to 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 help place business for their customers. Do you know? I think it's it's incredible the conversations that I've had over the last year eighteen months about that multi touch point process driven supported by technology driven approach to business. So you sort of opened up with that that you're very digital and and tech, technological in in terms of how your business is. And the more I see and the more I learn, and we do, we use an awful lot of great apps and software within Boston Tellus to keep the multi-touch point, to really focus your target uh, market, to give valuable content. And almost our entire business is built around that. Mm. And it's interesting to hear you say something similar because it's the way everything's going. This This trusted advisor, this content generation being your key focus is incredible. I think it's choice, which is, you know, the, for a long time, the downfall of the local community broker has been forecast. And, and I just don't see it coming because it's that trusted advisor. People want to be able to, they don't want to just look at a screen. We've got brokers that, that they don't want to talk to us. We've got an online trading platform. You can go on, you can get a quote, you can buy it, and you'll never need to talk to a human. But they're very few and far between. 
and customers, the end customers are the same. They, they, there are options for them, but there's nothing quite like picking up the phone or having a meeting and just running past. You've asked me this question, but really my answer is not quite in the drop-down box. So as I'm a mass, huge advocate for technology and it's a big part of our business, but it should complement as opposed to replace, in my opinion. Um, and that's a big part of what we do. So, uh, And we encourage the human interaction um, and relate and build relationships as best as possible. But ultimately, it is a choice thing. If, if you don't want that, then we have a solution. But hopefully you do want that because that's what we want. Absolutely. And for all of the gaps in between, when you're not actually needing something, you've got the process by which you Absolutely. can still reach out, you can still provide value, you can still offer a trusted advisor service in a, in a relatively automated, low-touch that's right. Bye. Yeah, use use the technology to to automate where you don't need a person, but don't re, don't replace the person. Yeah, and, I yeah. completely agree. Completely agree. I think that's one of the things that you know the nimbility again. I'm going to use that word <laughs> uh, probably for the rest of my life. Try and get it in the English dictionary because it deserves uh, a space there. But the nimbility of the small business capability versus the resource gap of having the heavyweight behind you to go and I don't know hit something hard and 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 all of that kind of stuff. How do you guys see that in terms of your role as opposed to the insurers when somebody's looking at a placement strategy? Now, that was so badly articulated, I'm going to ask it again. Um, <laughs> and it was all focused around mobility. What I mean is that one of the huge benefits of working with a business like you guys, uh, a small MGA that's able to, to move in a direction quickly versus the big insurers when somebody is looking at developing a placement strategy for a particular industry, perhaps one that's going to be quite difficult to place in the coming years, what are the benefits that you would say that they should be considering for an MGA? But also, what would you advise them in looking at that difficult situation and, and how to process it? Yeah, I think um, it's a good question. And it's, there's not a, a, a sort of bullet point answer. It, it, it will be tailored depend on the, the answer to that will depend on what the broker does. Um, if you've got a niche broker that specialises in widget manufacturers, then they would need to find a, either an MGA or an insurer that, that underwrites widget manufacturers. So it, it, it's it's very much a case of tailoring what you do um, and you build your placement strategy around that. Majority of, I believe that the majority of community brokers aren't specialists in widget manufacturers. They will Ultimately, they look after their community and they could have any sorts of risks that come through the door. And they need a variety of different markets that help support what they might get through the door. So they definitely should get the big insurers because the brand name and, and the, you know, the, most customers, if you walk in and you mentioned, I've got this place with an insurer that begins with A, um, the chances are they're going to heard of that insurer and they will just buy it. But it's also the choice. It's uh, and, and I think that's where if you select your MGAs, they will either they will have a, uh, a certain capacity that you won't be able to get uh, access to. They'll have a product line that you won't be able to get elsewhere. They'll they'll have a bell or whistle that you know isn't common that you want to offer to your customer, or you know, or they'll have that service proposition where I could send it to insurer A and I could wait three or four days for a response or I can send it to these guys and I know that someone's going to be on the phone in in an hour with a quote so it's that it's, it's almost where that that placement strategy is just pick pick your partners know that and the big insurers they will have a minimum level of support required whether it be 50k 
100K uh, gross premium, it might be difficult to look after lots of insurers with with a relatively smaller book. Whereas the MGAs, you know, we we don't we 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 don't want dormant agencies, but we won't have a requirement to place a certain amount of business uh, to trade with us. So you can keep us happier with less than than you would the insurers. So it, it, it's just a case of pick your partners and and think. Well, I'm going to place this majority of my business here or with these partners. I'm going to use these for them. And but have a reason as to why they're in your placement strategy, and and it's that reason really is down to the, the broker to say, well, this is where I need my business to be to be serviced. Um, and for us, it is it, you know we've got a wide product range. We do a, a little bit of you know the non-standard, but it's 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 not we're not a non-standard market, but it is about that service being prompt, deliver terms, being nimble. Um, your your favourite word, um, um, and and that uh, that is the USP for us is that you know we will will tailor our approach to to the broker's needs so that they can properly service their customers. One of the things that I'm seeing be discussed more and more is about this value added proposition, which briefly touched on the risk management stuff and how difficult that is from a from a chain perspective. What other things? do you guys do or is possible for an MGA to be giving as a value added service to their brokers? What, what should brokers be looking for when they're, they're picking who to work with? Yeah, I think, um, I think that's a, a question good for brokers. Uh, you know, what service are they providing their, their customers and their, you know, insurance placement is one of them. Risk management is another, some, you know, they provide some other added services that, that, Ultimately, that's why the customer will come back a year and year. From uh, an MGA's perspective or a wholesale broker's perspective, it's what is there anything else that we can build into the product, either as an additional service? Now, I think up until now, really, we've looked at additional insurance services, you know, whether it's there's added covers that you can work with, whether it's terrorism cover, breakdown cover, is it the legal insurance, is it the home emergency cover? It's, it's, it's additional insurance benefits outside of the core product. But there's absolutely for uh, services, additional risk management services that you think actually part of the product. And we haven't got any in our suite, but it's something that, you know, we should certainly consider um, and other product providers should consider uh, those because it, it supports the broker supporting their customer and that's ultimately the the ambition for our business um, yeah and I think it plays into what what we were saying earlier about the the wider role of the trusted advisor and the wider role of of the trusted business advisor you know let's let's get your business as procedurally perfect as it possibly can be to aid all of the business risks that there are yeah you one know. of the uh, one of the bigger hurdles is the, is the cost factor, um, and especially in the current climate, is that you know everybody's watching their spend, and there has been products that you that you that are best of breed that have got all the bells and whistles with all of the extra support services, but they're at a price point, mm. and that's the the balancing act that you need to find of having a product that is fit for purpose and delivers what the customer needs. And also some of the stuff that they don't know they need, but not a, a too high price that um, a price point that makes it uncompetitive. Mm. Especially in a climate where you know ultimately businesses are are needing to cut back. So it's a, it's a tough one. It's one that certainly needs to be considered. And I think product providers have a bigger part to play 
but it's one of those how do you actually deliver a solution that mm. is affordable so you see a lot of the um insurers with their own offerings around bcp risk management and all of that kind of stuff so i suppose that's that's where my head kind of went and how are you guys competing with that additional offering so it's interesting to hear what you what you kind of say on that what about you guys like what's iprism's plan for the next five years and how have you had to kind of go oh covid let's let's look at this instead of this and it's very difficult i think covid has made planning a lot more short term and a lot longer term the midterm is a bit more difficult to plan so you know we where we would normally set off with a, a 12 or or a 36 month business plan uh, covid has has made us have to think more short term of what's going to happen next month but that's uh, again back to the point of the strength of small businesses that's that's what we can do but then with that not lose sight of some of the big milestones that that we want to achieve for the next five years so a big part of what we want to do is new product launches you know we've got some we're going to add, add product to our private clients and property owners propositions let's not lose sight of that so it's it, it, it's it's almost a, with with covid it's let's let's keep the business going and you know fortunately we've we've been in a good place since that we've we've relatively gone at business as usual but that let's not take the eye off the ball in the day-to-day Let's not really plan for what's going to happen in 12 months or 18 months, but let's put the knock down to the macro level of we're going to sell this many policies and have this many brokers. Yeah. But at the same time, accept that the short term instability of the industry and the market won't allow that to, to happen. Um, but keep those milestones of we want to partner with with this software house to deliver our product to these brokers. We want to deliver this new product via our online portal we want to onboard this new capacity provider to expand our footprint so it's it's almost look at the short term so that everything's going as it should be but then keep that list of to do that to do list of i'm still going to do this and everything i'm doing needs to contribute to me ticking off that that bigger wider strategic piece but that middle ground instability which none of us can predict let's not be rigid about it because that only sets yourself up for a crap now what yeah and uh it's very difficult i'm I'm, there's not going to be a business that can confidently say this is what i'm going to be doing trading wise or revenue wise in in nine months time because back to the earlier point uh, things are gonna may get worse so don't try as it's almost but don't let that take you off the, the game plan concentrate on the short term make sure that the strategic points are still there because you don't want to get 12 months down the line and say, all I've done is look month by month. I've done nothing for the future. It's, but try and do both, but not worry too much about the finer detail of the medium term. Are you guys still actively, you know, going after new business, implementing marketing strategy and and sales strategy and all that kind of? Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've taken the opportunity. I think working from home for us has um, certainly given some people more hours in the day to to get stuff done because they're not spending an hour and a half each way into the city so that's we've, we've almost freed up some resource there so people have been able to and the work from home does give you some peace and quiet to get on and work on projects so we've got three new products lined up for um for release end of this year beginning of next yeah we've got we've, we've been able to really go right 
let's just crack on and, and think about what we want to do in the next 12, 24 months. Is it too uh, early for you to give a promo of your three new products? Uh, so yeah, we've um, in private clients, yeah, yeah. So we've got we've in private clients. We we currently do um, high value home, a, a standard home pro, a, a home plus product. So it's it's a, it's a standard home product with some sort of bells and whistles, and we're adding a holiday home product to that range. So that's for uh, small bungalows. It can also do you know your your static caravans and your lodges and whatnot. Um, and that was a direct result of feedback from brokers. A uh, good, good while ago, we, we we held a poll and said, what, "Which products would you like to see us provide?" And and brokers come back with that. We've got um, a, a new property owners product to join our property owner suite uh, aimed at unoccupied properties and excess of loss because uh, we do a lot of construction. Uh, get a lot of call for brokers that want to easily place extra excess layers. So they're all in various stages of development. Some are closer than others. So, but yeah, we'll, we'll push ahead with them because that's uh, why not? We've got. There's no point in just sitting and saying, "Well, we'll just see what happens." We should have back to that earlier point. Have that list of things that you want to do, and, and work towards it. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, I had a, a meeting this morning um, with Zywave. So. Zywave and Boston Tullis are in uh, discussions about some really exciting stuff, actually. And one of the things we were talking about was the focus. So obviously sales is sales and marketing is our predominant thing that we do. And we were talking about, I don't know, the four steps to a, a sales process. And when you're looking at it from a marketing perspective, a lot of people come in at the content stage. So I'm going to do marketing. I'm going to start putting content out on social media. But there's actually three steps before that. And if you miss those three steps out, you haven't got any focus. Mm-hmm. It's content for content's sake. The focus and the game plan, the objective, and always referencing back to that is so important. And um, it's, you know, nice to hear you guys talking about it because I spend most of my life talking about it. Yeah, well, I think you know, we've, as a business, we've had a lot of change over the last sort of five or six years. I took over the running of the business 24 months ago, maybe. And at that stage, I think that's marketing. It depends what marketing is for you, uh, what it means. It means lots of different things to different people. But for, for me, marketing is all about uh, communication and brand. And big part of the, uh, our brand, what does it mean? And does everything look the same and feel the same? Are the messaging you know, run throughout? And then when it comes to communicating with our brokers is are we talking to them about the things that they want us to talk to them about because i think it's sometimes quite easy just to send something out and just that's it leave it and see what happens what about you know who's opening it is anyone reading it is it interesting so uh, we're we're lucky in that we've got our own marketing uh, resource in the business because it's a big part of what we do we've got lots of brokers to talk about and lots of products to talk about but I think for every business, no matter how big or small you are, I think marketing, communication, brand, whether that is LinkedIn on or social or website or email or brochures, everything is something certainly to, to consider and to make a, a conscious effort to improve. Um, because I think it's really key for you to be able to go to your customers and say, this is what we're all about really quickly and concisely. And, and back to your point about focus, you know, make sure that you know 
what you're going to say, why you're going to say it, how you're going to say it before you get to the point of creating your content because it needs to be on brand if that, that sort of cheesy, that cheesy and saying. I would, but it's, I would add to that, who are you going to say it to? Exactly, who is absolutely. your defined list of a thousand businesses that you want to target? Hmm. Let's make that list because once you've got that list, you know exactly who, which means you can work out where, what and how. Hmm. And a lot of people don't, you know, generally I'd like to go for SMEs or, or in your case, community brokers. Great. Who? Which ones? Let's find them. Yeah. Find that list. And then let's see how we can add value to these particular people in this particular way, on this particular platform, with this particular content. And just knowing that who allows you to, to follow through all of that, which is what we do with, with a lot of our clients, which sounds like it should be be obvious but actually it isn't and it's something that I've come to through my own process of learning and when I you know when I finally um clicked a few years ago about what I needed to be doing it was like this moment of oh my goodness and now I know this I can work out all of this without it being intangible you know conceptual stuff yeah I know I think- that this person wants this I think that's it, the, the the whole you know what are you saying and to who is is really important. You know, our marketing, it's uh, uh, and our communication to brokers, it's what do they realistically want to know? Do they want to know you know what products that we've got? Do they want to know that we've we've got competitive commissions or that we've got UK rated capacity? Or do they? Well, I've got all this long list of good things about our business, but realistically, what do they care about? Um, and that's the good marketing. And where really getting advice on marketing can help is to say, these are all great things, but realistically pick two or three that they really want to know about and tell these people that. And you may, you may have different cohorts of people that you talk, say different things to. And I don't know that because I'm not a marketeer. And that's where I think it's, it's it, you get good marketing advice or get a good marketeer into the business, into your businesses. Um, and they, they will just blow your mind in what they can do in terms of communicating with with current customers, potential customers. It's something that I'm a big, big advocate for is marketing, communication, brand. It's. I'm going to put you on the spot here, right, because it's fun. This is your 30-second pitch. What is it you want to tell the community, community broker? Go. Oh, that, the elevator pitch. Um, yeah, <laughs> so I think it's uh, – it is about service and we will find solutions for their customers. We, you know, we're no computer says no attitude. We've got a trading mentality. It's where we are a small business and we've got more aligned with your business than other providers that you may have. And it's all backed by quality paper, quality product. So it's, uh, I think I've had longer than 30 seconds, but and I could go I think on. it was fabulous. And what I'll do is in the show notes, I'll make sure that I've put iPRISM's email address, uh, sorry, website address and um, a relevant contact address as well. So if anybody listening wants to pick your brains on, on anything we've discussed or have a conversation with you, then I will make sure it's in there. Super. Fabulous. On that me. note, I think that was um, really, really interesting. And I'm pleased that you share my sentiments on marketing. And um, I could probably talk to you about it all day, but I would bore everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's super. Thank you. Cheers, Sarah. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have enjoyed what you have heard, have any questions or feedback, please leave us a review and we will be sure to get back to you. If you would like further information on how Boston Tullis Group can support your business, or if you would like to join us on an episode, 
please do not hesitate to contact us.